Hey friends, Jason Miller here. You're listening to the South Bend City Church Podcast. If you'd like to watch this teaching, just look for South Bend City Church on YouTube or find our Instagram account at SB City Church. Whether you're local and tuning in this way because our gatherings are suspended because of COVID or you're a member of our long-distance digital family, we love you and we hope you're well-served by this teaching. If you'd like to financially support the work, please go to southbendcitychurch.com give. Uh, a while ago, I had an experience that I've had from time to time in life. You've probably had it too. I woke up someplace other than my home and I was excited to run to the window and open the curtains because I had traveled and I'd gotten there in the nighttime and the place I'd gotten to was Montana. And if you've ever been to Montana, you know that it's got these beautiful landscapes and these soaring mountains. And when they call it big sky, it really is a big sky. And having gotten there in the nighttime under the darkness, I was really excited to like open the curtains and see where I actually was with the daylight. And so sure enough, I get up and I open the curtains and my breath is taken away a little bit at where I had already been for a little while. But because the light wasn't there, I hadn't seen it for what it was. And I tell you that because um, that's my best understanding of what happens in the final text of this epiphany conversation that we've been having as we have moved through the last few weeks looking at the surprising discovery of God in Jesus and the way that that discovery illuminates the life of God in ourselves and our neighbors and our enemies. Uh, the text that we're looking at is a text that historically the church has celebrated and made a big deal of. And to be honest, for, for a long time, I didn't really understand what the big deal was. It's, it's one of the weird like parts of the gospels. It's like one of those moments that feels kind of strange. There's a lot of special effects going on. <laughs> Uh, but lately, this text has been working on me, and I think there's um, something really deep and insightful that's being illuminated. And so I want to share it with you and work out a couple of the details. This is uh, what's sometimes called the Transfiguration of Jesus, and it shows up in multiple Gospels. I'm going to share it with you here from Matthew chapter 17. So let me share this with you. You're going to hear some weird stuff, and then let's work it out. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of, of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Uh, this is the transfiguration story. And it's kind of strange, right? <laughs> Jesus takes his friends up a mountain after six days. It's an interesting detail that Matthew throws in. And then up there on the mountain, they see this sort of uh, what you might call a theophany. This glory appears and Jesus starts shining. And then we see Moses and Elijah next to him. Now, it's clear that like one of the big things going on here is that this is a revelation for Peter and James and John about who they have been with the whole time. It's like they've been with Jesus under the cover of darkness these past uh, couple of years. And then finally daylight breaks and they see what has been with them the whole time. That, that God is living God's life in the life of Jesus, that this glory, this radiance that's shining is a way of showing them what's always been going on with Jesus. And so it's a way of like vindicating Jesus and showing them that God's been with them in Jesus. And the Moses and Elijah thing, I mean, that certainly reinforces all of that because these are Jewish people in the first century. 
And Moses and Elijah are two of the high watermarks in the history of Israel's life with God. And so you see these, these heroes of the past, these vessels through which God spoke and led the people, and then you see them appearing with Jesus, and it's a way of endorsing Jesus and, and showing that Jesus is part of the same story as Moses and Elijah. So that has a lot to say about Jesus as far as like lifting Jesus up and glorifying him. But if that's all the further we go with this, I think we miss a lot of the depth. Like if this is a moment when, when the daylight hits and you can finally see the landscape around you, if, if Peter, James, and John are finally seeing the landscape around them that's been under the cover of darkness for a little while, well, like let's take note of the landscape. Let's actually see what they see around them. And of course, what they see is Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses and Elijah, they aren't just two important people in the history of Israel. They, they in fact, represent two major movements in the history of Israel. And so uh, if you've ever heard this little summary phrase in the New Testament, this will ring a bell. Uh, in the Old Testament, you have the law and the prophets. And Moses is the one who, after the Israelites uh, are liberated from Egypt and they begin to walk into their freedom, Moses is the one who leads them there. And Moses is the one who receives the law on Sinai. By the way, that little six days thing, that might be a nod to the Sinai experience because there were six days of waiting before one of those encounters with God happens on the mountain. So Moses is the, the giver of the law, the one through whom God gives the law. And then Elijah is, is one of the most important prophets uh, of their history. So we have the law and the prophets, which is actually even a way of organizing the Hebrew scriptures and talking about these major movements in their life with God. But there's more, I think. Uh, let, me, let me work this out with you. Let's talk about Moses for a little bit. And remember, this is... Um, the light that radiates and illuminates what Jesus is doing. And Peter and James and John, they have a moment to see it. So we have Moses. Moses, he, he leads this, this sort of unformed people, which had begun as a, a simple family that ended up in Egypt and then grew in number in Egypt and then was enslaved in Egypt. He leads this family out of their slavery and into their freedom and into a sense of identity and purpose. And then it's through Moses that these people, having been liberated, are now given a way of walking in their freedom. They're given a codified structure, uh, patterns and pictures of how they should live their life in that freedom. Lots of structure. If you've ever read Exodus or Leviticus or Deuteronomy, there was lots of structure there. Moses is the man who, upon leading the people into the liberation, becomes the vessel of this clear and concrete pattern or way of being in the world. And uh, you may not have a lot of connection to Moses or to those passages in Leviticus or Deuteronomy, but I bet you've had moments in your life where you walked into a new freedom or liberation and some new structure or pattern or concrete way of being was part of that liberation. You see this in um, who, people who have like a, a, a really dramatic conversion experience in faith. And they might describe their life before that conversion experience as um, sort of trapped or stuck or in bondage or slavery. And then they find this sort of liberating encounter with God in this conversion moment. And then the next thing that happens is they seek and they accept a really clear and concrete structure. This is how you live this kind of life. These are the rules for this kind of life. These are the things that you don't do in this kind of life. These are the things that you do in this kind of life. And all of that structure can be a powerful companion to the liberation that you've experienced. 
Or maybe it's not a faith conversion. Maybe you had like a sobriety awakening. And after a long period of destructive patterns and behaviors, you adopt new patterns and behaviors. And that day of sobriety is a, as a, is a marker in your life. And there's a before and after around it. And, and now you live your life with some really clear patterns and structures. And those patterns and structures are the way that you steward the freedom that you have found from that addiction. You take it one day at a time. I've seen others who um, maybe just along the day-to-day -day pattern of life, they have some kind of awakening. And maybe, maybe it's because like you hit middle age and you just realize that not everything's working the way that you wanted it to. And you've been perhaps sort of wandering a little bit aimless and you have a kind of awakening and you commit to a whole new program. <laughs> and maybe it's um, the way you eat or the way that you use your body or maybe the way that you like live your love life or maybe it's the way you structure your family system or other relationships, but something happens to wake you up and upon waking up, you embrace a whole new pattern or paradigm and there's a lot of structure to it. This is actually just like a really normal thing about humans growing up and not just humans, but whole communities cities, countries, and the world at large. That there are moments of awakening that give birth to new structures and new ways of ordering things. And Moses is the voice who leads Israel into their new way of ordering things. But Moses isn't the only one on the mountain with Jesus, right? Elijah's there too. So let's talk about the prophets. Because if you've read the story of Israel's history, you might know this. They come out of their, their slavery into freedom and they inherit this entire body of laws for how they will live their life with God and with one another. Moses has given them those laws. And then they begin to build their world together on the basis of that program, of that structure, of that concrete and clear picture of what they are meant to be. And pretty soon they have their own kings and their own kingdom and their own land and their own society. But the problem is that lurking within all those structures is all kinds of corruption. And that some of these things that were originally life-giving and empowering for the people, a way of being in the world that was good, now that same structure is rotting from the inside out. And the prophets come along and they see the need to stir all of this up, to mix it all up, because this thing that the structure is growing stagnant and it's no longer doing what it was meant to do. And so the prophets say audacious things. They say things like, God doesn't care about your sacrifice. He wants justice. Even though back in that structure that Moses gave them, it seems like God really wants a sacrifice. These prophets aren't afraid to, to mess with like the very pillars that have held up the world that they inhabited when they realize that the world that they inhabited isn't working the way it was meant to work. And so you go in this story from structure, from clear and concrete prescriptions for how we will live to a radical sort of disruption, uh, a decentering. Things get mixed up. And these prophets have the audacity to say that the way that we have ordered things isn't quite right. So there's going to be some disorder while we try to fix that. And maybe you've been there um, in your personal life. Uh, maybe there was a set way for things to be. Maybe it was your marriage. Maybe it was the way that you showed up in your work. And perhaps it started really good. But over time, things crept into that arrangement and it's no longer good. And perhaps you've realized that a disruption is called for, that things need to be shaken up a little bit, that it's time to stop accepting the status quo and that you might need to rattle some things. Maybe you chose it, maybe you saw it, or maybe it happened to you. Maybe the disruption came in from outside and you've had to decide what to do with it. 
this is, this is my experience, especially in learning to see the world through the lens of people who aren't like me, learning to see theology through the lens of people who aren't like me, and learning to see uh, the world that we have built and the country that we have built and the city that we have built through the lens of people who aren't like me and aren't positioned where I'm positioned. It's disruptive. And it can be jarring to find out that the structure, the ordering, the system isn't working quite as well as some of us had hoped it was. But you need these disruptions, don't you? So you, you have Moses and the law and this very clear picture of the world that they will build. And then the prophets come along and they kind of hack away at some of that picture and say, it's not working the way it was meant to work. Now, by the way, one thing I love about the scriptures and one way that they're dynamic and living and breathing to me is the, the way that these these movements push and pull on one another in the text. This is not a flat, one-dimensional book. This is this living, breathing conversation. It's this record of this sort of slowly dawning consciousness that moves from structure to disordering and disruption. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because, of course, we have Moses on the mountain and we have Elijah on the mountain, but we also have Jesus on the mountain. It, it strikes me that one way to interpret this is to suggest that, like, like Jesus is the best teacher you may find if you are stepping forward into a new liberation and you are trying to figure out how to order that life, how to anchor that life, how to create a clear picture of that life. Jesus might be an able teacher and a faithful presence with you as you are working that out. And if the system is broken and a disruption needs to happen, Jesus might be a faithful teacher and a, and a worthwhile companion for the disruption, for the prophetic work of shaking things up, of calling it out. But Jesus is there in his own right, too, not just as uh, an endorsement for Moses or an endorsement for Elijah, which, which to me suggests that while Jesus is a good companion for all that order and Jesus is a good companion for the prophetic disruption and uh, perhaps is calling us to see the sacred in both of those movements, I don't know that those movements are the point. Because like a lot of us can like just get fixated with the ordering that we have built for ourselves or our family or the one that we've expected from the world around us. And then we can create an idol of that ordering that we have built. And others of us can get really stuck, really fixated in the disruption and the prophetic energy. And we, we love how it feels to call it out and tear things down. And we can make an idol of that movement in this long story. But there's that other thing that happens in the text here, which to me reminds us of the point of these movements and what drives these movements and how we can cooperate with these movements. And it's that thing that God speaks over Jesus again. It's the same thing that we heard the beginning of Epiphany when Jesus is baptized. We hear it again in this moment. At the beginning of our Epiphany conversation and here again at the end, hear this again as they're up there and they hear this voice from heaven who says of Jesus, this is my son whom I love with him I'm pleased, listen to him. And what, what I wanna suggest is like, that structure that you build uh, on the heels of some awakening or liberation is really good, but it's not the point. And that prophetic disruption that shakes everything up can be really good, but it's not the point. And those things aren't, aren't, aren't actually the lifeblood that will carry us forward into who we are to become but rather they're, they're tools, they're useful along the way. But they're only useful or important to the extent that they serve the purposes of love. And so Peter and James and John, they're there on the mountain and things are lit up for a moment. 
and they see the, the glory that has been radiating in the life of Jesus that perhaps was hard for them to see back there when they weren't on the mountaintop. And they see Moses and Elijah, these powerful endorsements from Israel's history to say that Jesus too is a high watermark in the encounter of God with God's people. But they also see Moses and Elijah go away and Jesus remains. And when Jesus remains, they hear that voice of belovedness again. And I believe it's love that is liberating us and it's love that gives us structures and clear pictures of how we are to live and things that are out of bounds and things that are in bounds and whole programs for our personal lives and our relationships and our families and our church and our city and our world. Love, love will lead us into those structures and it's love that will call us to shake up those structures when we discover that corruption has crept in, that these structures aren't doing what they were meant to do, but it's love that will keep calling us forward even out of the disruption to create something new and good and beautiful. And then perhaps the pattern will repeat itself over and over again. And every time it repeats itself, we are growing up a little bit. And we don't often have illuminated moments where we see the whole landscape. We're not privy to that vision very often, but every once in a while we see it and it's an epiphany. And maybe you've had, uh, a lights on moment in your life recently. Maybe it's as simple as you looked at the faces of your kids or your partner, your parents or your friends, and though frankly they've been getting on your nerves for quite a while during COVID, maybe just something happens and the light hits just right and your heart opens up a little bit and, and you see what was always there, which is the belovedness of these people around you. There's something about the way their face glows or the way that they laugh or that look in their eye and it's always been there, but you were having a hard time seeing it for a while, but the lights are on for a moment and you get a glimpse and you are reminded that you two are surrounded by glory and you feel caught up in that belovedness. Or maybe it's you looking in the mirror and maybe it's been a long time since you have looked in the mirror and been happy with what you see. I'm not talking about like, like whether your hairstyle is great or whether you put your makeup on the way that you like. I mean, when you look in your own eyes and you see in this body that you've been given your own life, maybe it's been a long time since you have looked there and seen um, how beloved you are. And that even in your life, the glory of God is radiating, that, um, that the love of God is declaring your belonging with God as a daughter or son. Maybe you need to hear that again today. Maybe you need to search for a fresh epiphany today. And I don't know when or how it will happen, but I believe that you and I are being invited to moments like Peter and James and John to discover the glory of God that is there in the life of Jesus, to discover the glory of God that has revealed itself in this deep and sacred history, to discover the, the glory of God, the power of love that calls us into structure and order, but then that also calls us into radical uh, disruption and prophetic movements, but also the glory and love of God that calls us beyond those things to build something new. Uh, this love that sort of keeps cycling us forward uh, ever and ever closer to who we are to become and what we are here for. So friends, uh, this is a strange story, uh, but I pray that you would see Christ transfigured if you've been reading these gospel texts over these last few weeks, I know they're strange and peculiar and sometimes unsettling and sometimes frustrating, but I trust and hope that 
that there have been at least hints, uh, winks, suggestions in your heart about the, the glory of God in the life of Jesus. And as you have opened your heart to that, I trust too, I hope too, that you have been open to the glory of God radiating in the world around us. And even though it may feel like it has been dark for a very long time, uh, whenever we find the daylight is here and we get glimpses of the landscape that we have been inhabiting, I pray that you will pay attention. I pray that you will be astonished at the world that we have been living in and the lives that we have been given and the presence of God with us. And I pray that you tell about it, that you'd open your mouth and you'd tell the story and that you would be audacious enough and brave enough to believe that like your life is a location for the glory of God and that you would celebrate it and share that with the people that you know. Uh, I love you, church. Uh, we'll keep doing um, videos like this for a little while now, but we are hopefully and actively anticipating uh, our life back together when the time is right. In the meantime, may grace and peace be with you.